Warning, this podcast contains bad words and stories about drugs and sex and overthrowing the government. Proceed with caution. Thank you. And now on to our show. Wake up, brother, we got nothing to do. Let's go outside, just me and you, and build a fort. We'll pack a lunch, won't be home till after dark. Then after dinner, we can sneak back out. You know that high school girl I've been telling you about? Well, she gets undressed about a quarter to nine, and we can watch her do it from the big old pie next door. She got a room on the second floor. Well, looks like another fucked up day in paradise. Hi, this is Dan Kelly, Shree Uji Split. It's the Daughter of God cast, season four, and this is episode 163, Analysis. Uh, this is a brief introduction because I'm not really going to be doing this solo. I'm going to uh, offer you a conversation that Melanie and I had about the extended elevator, uh, which I offered to you last episode 162. And so, uh, yeah, it's a long conversation. This is an hour of conversation between me and Melanie. And so, uh, yeah, if you're really into spoilers, this is pretty much Spoiler Central coming up here. So, uh, without further ado, here we go. Okay, talk to me. What do you like? <clears throat> well, all right, let's see. Um, I got done watching the first part, the video. Listening to me ramble. Laughing my head off. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think you're losing it. Yeah, for but sure. But the movie's not, so yeah, yeah. that's my, <laughs> my summation, my, my overall Love it. really short version. Love it. Um, <laughs> um, and it is part of this, the yeah. bigger, bigger picture. Uh-huh. You know, how do you reduce such a huge, huge vision to a couple of products to register? That I'm you know, selling. Yeah, you're right. selling. And how do you say that your paintings are in a movie? You know, your paintings yeah. are actually part of a movie that's like, whatever. Yeah, and then I, and and yeah, you're saying like so they're they're dead coming back in. Yeah, they 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 basically don't take the monorail to the parking lot because they're getting back in their cars and going home back to non physicality. But when they come to the theme park Earth, then they get in a human body, they run around. So backwards. It's okay. That's perfectly but, cool. Yeah. But I pick because I just because I picture it's the beautiful little, the figures that you're gonna use. It's a the, beautiful idea. Know? Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's like okay. you can even see like. You could, I mean, to get this idea across, I don't even know where this would be to stick it in somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the little figures getting onto a monorail, I mean, like a typical Disney monorail. Mm-hmm. And that would be, and then the monorail goes, goes off. It's like, perfect. Yeah, toward the viewer a little bit, and then it stops, and there's like this, you know, voice, yeah. like the conductor or whatever, kind of. It talks about in the story how Joe wipes out the clique. That's not really in the movie yet about how that actually happens, but there could be this moment where... There's like the clique march onto a monorail and they take off for the parking lot because we just wiped out. And we just wiped yeah. out a whole bunch of them. So they're bye. Yeah. Anyway, just, that's yeah, great. I, I love mean, that. I love that idea. That's super that, cool. That monorail image just grabbed me. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay, that's so great. This great. one would be, I wrote outtake next to it, but I don't necessarily. The possibility of a scene, it, it doesn't necessarily play into the bigger story, but when I was <laughs> hearing, you know, Uncle Joe as this, and, and these other, there's other, maybe a few other secret agents out yep, there yep, or yep, whatever, yep. right? I was thinking, like, he needs to have, like, a rendezvous at some point. There's just this side bit where he has this rendezvous in the woods or whatever with, with either this other secret agent slash nemesis. It's just, like, this, just this crazy, like, pornographic, you know, moment where they just meet up or, or... Wait, like, they take off their clothes or what? Oh, it's a sex rendezvous. They don't even have to talk. Right. <laughs> it's nice. just like, you know, he's on this journey for forever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then it's over and he's gone. But check this out. And okay, then okay. I thought, what if... So Buffalo Joe, and he's got his fur, and this fur comes up. There's the motorcycle. There's the possibility of the boat. Right. What if it is the fur that... This might be crazy. But the fur itself, the, the, oh. the buffalo thing... The, the gift from, because it's a gift, right? So yeah, well, sort, sort of, of yeah. right? It 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 transforms into this woman or whatever, and comes to him, oh. and they have this thing, and oh. then it goes back to being. Oh, you know what's great about that? You know, that reminds me of so many things. It 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 has a. I do have one thing that it makes me think of that. I like you know, that a lot. Just is, is uh, should I even say what that is? Go ahead, of course. Uh, Doctor Who's TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, in the later episodes, like. There is a point where the TARDIS also is a woman. A woman. Oh. Yeah. And um, I think that that's probably part of what there's, my, or that's what came about when I had this thought. I'm like, oh, that that's kind of like that. There's but, also a really great Star Trek episode, Gary Seven, where they go back in time and Gary Seven has a cat in the apartment, a black cat. And later on, he kind of like hooks up with this secretary that he's temporary secretary he's hired, and he's but he's got this secret back office, whatever. And then later on, at the end of the episode, the you know Kirk and Spock are there, and whatever they figure it all out. The girlfriend is walking by the couch, and the cat is there, and she looks down at the cat, and then looks away, and looks back, and it's a woman, a really hot woman in this black thing, this black cat dress, and she, and then she looks back, and and she goes to Gary, who who's that? And and Gary says, my cat, and she looks back, and it's a cat again. <laughs> Super cool, yeah. That throws this weird thing into it that, yeah, like the, 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 the cloak is someone else that he's wearing. It's, and it's kind of, it's so great. It's like he's protected, he's wrapped up mm -hmm. by this mm -hmm. entity or, you know, it is another, it is another person, but they've just yeah. transformed themselves into this cloak yeah. and they're traveling together. Yeah. Wow, it's great. Maybe he doesn't know that until this moment. When That's cool. You know? I have another crazy idea. That, so I've been, I negotiated today with this woman in England to do the voiceover for the box. Oh. She's got this super great voice. Okay. I, I, when I was narrating, she was, a, she was the host of the narrating science fiction podcast I was doing. Okay, okay. She's just, I loved her voice and I talked to her today, I'm like, would you do this, would you, you know, would you voice this character? And she's like, yes, we negotiate a price and we're going to try and lock it down at the end of this month. But the, the idea was, I thinking to myself, yeah, you know, I could wonder if I could bring her back for other stuff, because we're talking about a sequel really briefly. And, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe the box can actually, because I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if the, because the box and Joe fall in love, sort of, right? That's kind of, the, that's kind of this odd theme that comes along. And then how can the box assume a, 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 a body? Anyway, so they just kind of suggest that to me that, 
That cloak could be the way, yeah, anyway, sorry. It's great, I like it, that's really good. Mm -hmm. And why is he wearing it? And you know, forget about that, but like later on when he meets the box, the box would like to incarnate and be with him because it's kind of, you know, I can't really have sex with a box. I thought the box was more childish. <laughs> My thought with her is that she's more, you know, the, 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 the zygote is a child for sure, um, the, the Veronique, but the box has, she's been all over the world for three years. You know, she incarnated in all these boxes. She's been listening and talking, not talking, but listening to all the people that are around there. She's been, she's been, you know, she's taken over factories and airships. She's a pretty mature character. And, you know, that also makes the, the creepy part of it kind of fun, too, because she's only three years old. She's related to Uncle Joe. She's fallen in love with him or she has a crush on him. Does he reciprocate? It's all this kind of little bit of creepy weirdness fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyway, but yeah, who knows? My note, incest disclaimer unnecessary, because I was fine until you said that. The whole point of this whole exercise, like, is there parts of this that don't make any sense? Or that have, in, you know. In, I, I think because I never thought of that relationship as, yeah. as being more than, uh, <laughs> as in any way, other than like, you know, they meet. This they familial it's thing. Like, it's great, it's, and he, you know, he's throwing the box in the air, they're playing, all right, this right, stuff. Right, right. Like, to me, that was not at all going in that direction. So. It's funny, because there's a point where she says, well, I haven't read you this yet, but because I've been writing her dialogue to try and finish it off. And she says, um, so... Okay, so the reason I'm, I'm having the box talk is like, you know, the boxes are silent, right? Yeah. And maybe when Joe shows up there, he talks to the box and basically reads her graph, you know, she, he reads her text. She, you know, she's saying this and that, and he's like, he, like, he walks to the box and he says, he says hello, Joe. And he's like, hello, Joe. Oh. And he says, hello back, and, and then right. she flashes something, and he reads it. So you get this idea, he's, is he crazy? He's having a conversation with himself. No, the box is talking to him, and he's just reading her things as a courtesy almost, like reading it out loud. Obviously for the audience, yeah, but you know, yeah. but also just because that's, she's, she's mute. And then after, like, after they do the 20 questions, mm -hmm. at the end she's, he's like, you know, she says, you win. And he's like, well, aren't you supposed to get a prize if you win? And she's like, well, uh, you know, I'm so happy you're here that it's actually a win for me. So I think we should both get a prize. M give me a voice. And he's like, you can't, you have your, you know, the cardboard is, you know, whatever the, there's not enough power to make the cardboard vibrate to create a sound, to create sound, so I just can't do it. And she's like, reach inside of me, right? And he pulls out a portable 78 player and puts the needle down and then, and then her voice is there. And, but she says like, you know, this, this is, this is an endless record, so you don't have to move the needle again, but, but you have to keep cranking me up. That's what she says. So it's getting. I just started playing with that. It may we may de-emphasize that a little bit, but that kind of playful, you know, because I I do like the idea that she falls in love with him somehow because he he creates her by accident. So he's not really her creator or her father. It's an accident. He didn't even know that was going to happen. He had no idea, and and she has no family. Oh, so that's the thing. Yeah, you read that part. So Jerry and Christine are dead. They're gone. So she has no family except her sister who's trapped in the hallucinogenic realms, right? So whose family does she have? She only has Joe, really, is her only family. So, you know, then she thinks about it. She's like, well, he's not really my family. And I'm just making this up as I go along right now. He's not really my family. And before Veronique starts whispering to the people to burn the boxes, she's 
the box is still part of you know the people's lives. She's in their hovels. She's in their caves. She's you know she, they're gathering her all over the place and keeping her in little stashes, right? So she gets to hear what people are saying. And when Joe comes to town for the various poetry slams, like or he comes to town, does his thing, and leaves. They're all talking about how much fun he was and what a good time they had with him and blah, blah, blah. So she kind of learns about him through what the people think about him. Okay. And it's only until he goes to that last poetry slam and decides to do a thing about the boxes that that particular poetry slam group is like, fuck you, boxes suck. Burn the box in front of him. Okay. And, and that's why the box scene you know, is like, this is, our mo this is my moment to talk to you, blah, blah. But she, the box gets this flavor of Uncle Joe after he goes away, after, after he, like, and there's a little more to catch up on here, after he um, finishes with the mothers, he throws his eye stone away, <laughs> okay, he gets rid of his clique technology, and then we see him next as Uncle, as Buffalo Joe. So he's, he basically, his thing, it's a very, it's a very um, Esther Abraham Hicks thing. Once you get things lined up, you don't want to micromanage it. You don't want to be like all in there watching it and, you know, watching the pot boil. You basically set it up and then leave it to the universe to deal with it. So he sets up the mothers. Once he knows Jerry and Christina are fucking, he's like, I'm done. I don't need to watch them anymore. And he might even go into his interface and say, delete files and get rid of them. And to make the point that as he goes along, once he gets all his mothers deleted, he could be like, all right, I'm done, throws it away. But the thing is that, that whenever he's spying on Jerry's cabin, the boxes can see him. So they see him like twice. And they're kind of able to track him, maybe I'm making this up, as through the eye stone. But when he throws it away, he goes right off her radar. And then he avoids the boxes from then on because he's like, this are cleat. that's the cleat technology. I don't want to be seen by the boxes. So he avoids the boxes. And the only way that she ever finds out about him is what she hears secondhand from the people talking about Joe. Mm -hmm. There. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my, my rationale for how she, you know, because she doesn't know what the fuck he is. And actually, he's a scary thing at first because, you know, because yeah, Christina like, and Jerry die. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he's so danger at first. He's dangerous because, like, he created her, but she, he also sent this, his sister out in the, the hallucinogenics realms where she's really unhappy, blah, blah, blah. But then as time goes on, she learns, and, and in spite of herself, she, again, she's, a, she's a, a deity, she was an AI, in spite of herself, she begins to have these things, that she, feelings that she doesn't understand. She describes it as vulnerable. I feel vulnerable to you, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not an unpleasant feeling. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I was trying to figure out how would someone who's never experienced love, how would they describe it? Mm -hmm. You know, what would it, what would it feel like? Especially if you've never had emotions, you know, you know what emotions are. You're just trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so I don't know where that goes, but I'm just boop installing all this in your head because you're the freaking, you're so much fun to do this scripting stuff with. You, you take things and you flip them upside down and do crazy stuff. Why would the clique want to mm -hmm. make the sleepers into, into non-sleepers? Why would they want them to evolve if their whole thing is, is based on... So their whole thing, the, the, yeah, the clique, the clique is about, all right, so we're here, we can't fall asleep, we can't mm -hmm. actually be in theme park Earth, we just mm -hmm. have to kind of like, we can roam around it, but it's kind of boring because we know how it all, we know there's rides, it doesn't work for us, so what do we do? Well, I guess we're here to make it better, so they decide to, well, let's see, if indeed this is about contrast inspiring desire, and that desire then creates expansion, then maybe we can create more contrast and that will create even more desire. So what we'll do is we'll actually make scenario more troublesome and more 
divergent from the true nature of the sleepers. Mm -hmm. So that they really feel a lot, of, they really chafe. They really feel a lot of frustration. Like, you know, if we think about, like imagine the society we actually see ourselves in right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the government is completely corrupt, it's fake. There's no, you don't elect a president, it's bullshit, right? So people in their, in their they, they, they do their best to pretend that's not true. They do their best to pretend that democracy is a real thing and we live in America, it's the greatest country ever and we're not an empire and we're not going, stealing other countries. We, we don't do that, we're a good country. <sighs> They're trying really hard to believe that, right? But in their minds, they know that something is seriously fucked. It's just a matter of how much you want to look at it. The, the clique are creating this atmosphere where people feel this, they've designed this amazing situation and people feel a lot of frustration, which creates a lot of desire mm -hmm. that they, they don't know how to fulfill, but the, but it doesn't matter. Divinity expands. You get that desire going. Divinity's like, okay, okay cool, I'm with you. I'm just going to go to that place, that desire you have. I'm going to create it energetically, and I'm going to wait for you to catch up. And eventually people catch up, or maybe the clique catches up to that and says, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll experience that, we'll manifest that, sure, we'll manifest that desire, sounds great, for us. But keep these guys really hurting, the sleepers, not hurting, but having a really intense adventure. Really intense. Well, that makes, yeah. That the rides makes, are super scary. I get all of that. Okay. One for their functionaries and the one that they knew is true. For the clique themselves, depopulation is about improving the mechanism of divine expansion by creating a more intense and vivid dream for the remaining sleepers. Which, that, that's what you just were yep. explaining, yep. but my question is, yep. uh, they also assumed that insomniacs like themselves were obvious next step. And he, like, why would they want that next step to even happen if everything they're getting is from the sleepers not being awakened? Yeah, so, so they're, the way they see it is that they're, since they can't fall asleep, they're there as the managers of the theme park to make the theme park better and better, okay? okay. To, which is really about expansion, expanding divinity. So their, their rationale goes something like this, and I'm not saying they're right, but this is the way they see it. It's like, okay, so we we've created this incredibly intense, contrasty situation for these people, mm -hmm. and these sleepers, and this great ride, this great theme park, okay, cool. So. That's all well and good, and that's working really well. And, and we've pretty much made it as contrasty, about as contrasty as we can, unless we end things big time and knock out, you know, wipe out a vast number of the population. And then what would happen is, in theory, is because we're clearly, the, we're clearly like the future. You know, people like us coming to the theme park, we, you know, a theme park, whatever, it, it, it was an interesting experience, but we're kind of, we're kind of done and over that. We're the grown-ups, okay? Mm -hmm. We get that this is a ride. Kids you know, still enjoy theme park, but then we're not kids anymore. If we wipe out the, the, a big chunk of the population, maybe keep a little bit around just for tinkering and playing and really making sure we have to amp up the contrast, mm -hmm. what will happen is when they start respawning back in, there'll be more of us. There'll be more unsleeping people spawning mm -hmm. back in. And then little by little, the population of this theme park will be more about us. And so when that happens, then we can actually manifest from a place of we'll have desires and then allow them. We don't necessarily have to go this process of, of having contrast and then have desires. So what, We're evolved enough to just have the desires without having so much contrast. So what you're saying is they felt that they were moving beyond the need for the contrast, so they didn't need to rely on sleepers anymore, so let the sleepers wake up and join us. Yeah, right. And, yeah, exactly right. And, and you said something really interesting I want to just touch on. Uh, they feel they didn't need it, the contrast so much more. The problem for them is contrast doesn't really work for them anymore. Because okay. if you know, let's say like you know for a fact 
that if, if I got killed, if I got killed right now, and I knew this for a fact, I get killed right now, I'm just going to go into this amazing fullness that I actually am, and I really know that. Mm-hmm. That's like, fuck, I don't give a fuck about death. I'll do crazy fucking things. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I, I'll, go, I'll go dance on the edge of skyscrapers and, and whatever else I feel like doing, because it just doesn't, this is just, a, this is just a fun thing. I might like to stay alive because I like this body. I'm kind of having fun with this ride. Mm-hmm. They really have a hard time feeling contrast because they kind of know too much. Okay. The box tech, the paint on the boxes, the yep. technology of the boxes, I don't think would have been based on the mycelium in the first place. Well, it, was, it wasn't based. What they did was they used the, the idea that the boxes are interconnected, mm-hmm. that they pass information back and forth, and they, they're basically a surveillance network. They're passing, mm-hmm. they're passing information from the people to the clique. That's kind of the idea. As well as, you know, they deliver supplies and whatever, but the, the main thing that the boxes are is this giant network. Mm-hmm. And so they, what they did was they based the architecture of the boxes, the way they communicate electronically with how mycelium communicates in the forest. Okay. And I just made that up. I, I actually have mycelium running and I'm just gonna read that to see if I can find a few more connections in there. Mm-hmm. But the idea is mycelium, mycelium is like a neural network for the earth. I mean, right. it's got, it connects trees and I, I made this thing up that it, it actually is in the oceans and it's in the sky too, but it's like just okay. not as dense. Okay, because part of that, my mm. thought was, well, these, these boxes aren't physically connected the way that mycelium run through everything and connect to exactly. the trees and stuff. Exactly. But, I, but I, the thing, let me say this, the thing about the boxes is that, like, if I have a box here, mm-hmm. and I have a box over there, mm-hmm. and I have a box in Canada, mm-hmm. then what will happen is it'll talk to this box here, and then it will reach out to the box, whatever, it's basically chained together. So it is mm-hmm. like that idea of a neural kind of pathway. Neural network, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll just read the, like what I yeah. said was I think the box tech would not be based on mycelium to start. I think the mycelium tapping into boxes left outside and merging with the tech, uh, changing the consciousness of the AI, or, I yep. think would yep. be, to a more organically based evolution of thought. That was what I said. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, like, I like, for me, the reason that, that the box is actually becomes an emotional and sentient creature is because there's a biological component that gets connected that gets yeah fused or 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 um that's not the right word integrated is not the right word either but they they come together in a way that that creates something highly unusual this this electromagnetic communication fused with this strange fungal intelligence Mm -hmm. It's like way more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Jerry, on the Jerry and Christina, yep. when mycelium and trees sense danger or decline, like in the trees, yep. they send their resources, they send all their resources oh, to the youngest, healthiest trees. Fucking cool. And they dump, those dying trees will dump their carbon, and that gets transported, I believe, through the mycelial network cool. into the youngest trees to give them the best life. That's cool, yeah. So there goes Jerry and Christina. The box sense danger. The box and Joe have a long conversation. After the 21 questions, 20 questions, she, expo- she does a lot of exposition to kind of catch Joe up on things. Their bodies get pulled through along with the zygote, and they you know, form this. It wasn't really the box that did that. I hadn't really thought about how that happened. The box instantly goes into all the other boxes. She becomes the ubiquity, 
right? So she's now billions of other boxes, and she's factories, and she's these airships. So all, she so dominates physicality, there's just no room left at that moment. And so that's why uh, Veronique gets popped away. But I like this a lot, and I'm sure that there's at least, that it's at least something that she could talk, the box could talk about and say, um, just like dying trees, you know, give all their energy to the youth, the young trees, that's kind of what happened here. And maybe Jerry and Christina did that. Maybe they did that. Maybe they were like, okay, this, this is not working out at all what we expected, so here's a good thing to do with our bodies. Let's just send them off with Veronique. For me, when I'm in love with somebody and we're having orgasms together, that's like pretty fucking close to God, you know, it seems to me. That's, I mean, that's been my experience, right? So that could be like, that's kind of a fun idea to think about that when they, when they're, you know, they're fucking multiple times and when they hit that nice moment of conception, it doesn't necessarily happen right away, obviously. They are still, fucking when the when the conception happens bright moment for both of them when they they realize what's happening and they're kind of flashing between <clears throat> non-physicality and physicality before they actually get you know before whatever is happening happens that also informs our movie because the idea is that you know here are these two eggs basically right these two eggs that the the sperm goes funk into right and it's, it's divine energy, so it's not literally a sperm, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, once, 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 that, once that event is triggered where the fer egg is fertilized, <clears throat> then all of a sudden there's this moment of the divine energy flooding in, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, wait, there's two, boom, and it goes to both. So, so the idea of what is an actual biological twin, twinning event, why does that happen is kind of a fun thing to play with because it might say something about... How the divine energy flows into the yeah. room and I also think like I I think that we need to leave a little bit of just yeah. mysterious magic there and as far as how the heck that actually happens. I know I can get I can get too I know I know I can get too too tight on it, but I just think it's kinda of fun because it might it doesn't have to be in the story. It's just more the idea here is that it, what I like about this process is just combing out anything that might be like, Oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah. That's the thing I'm concerned about. Mm -hmm. So at least if I, I don't, it doesn't be anywhere in the movie. It's just like, okay, I know how that happens and mm -hmm. whatever. And so I'm done with that. I don't have to, and it could be just, again, if we know that, if we know that bit of backstory, you know, we don't have to like focus on it, but at least the characters know it. it the characters have, like, again, I've got this woman who's going to read this. It's a new character, really. And so mm -hmm. does she, and she's a god, basically. So <clears throat> her knowledge has to be pretty damn good. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. A lot of goddesses in, in, in history just, you know, what they emerge out of a, the sea from a yep. scallop shell or they, whatever, you know, there's, there's no like explanation. Of well. It. But that's, that's the magical god, goddess part. Of course, of course. Right? You know, the stuff we can't. Well, the, that's, that's true. That's true. And, but that's from the perspective of people at the theme park, right? They don't know how that hologram ghost is showing up there, but the people who run the theme park know it. The goddess popped out of the forehead of Zeus and blah, blah, blah. Then what, what that implies to me is that it was an event that is not understandable by human beings. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not incomprehensible. It's just that we can't comprehend it. Right. Yeah. And so that, you know, I'm just playing the game of, of what if we could comprehend it and... And, you know, just taking play with them. Obviously, you know, at some point, every author drops the, you know, drops this trail. It's like, I don't need to think about that anymore. It's enough detail. 
Yeah. And I'm just playing that game. I'm playing that game of how much detail do I actually need, and and it's fun. It's just fun to play with it. It's fun to play with the ideas. So it sounds to me like, uh, you know, since you, you kind of closed your book already, it sounds to me like yeah, it mostly it, makes sense. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think that, you know, I, my summary right in the beginning was I got done watching oh. the video, and I thought, you're losing it, but the movie's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but I I thought it was all good crazy. I yeah, the clique, the clique are funny because they, they're, they're not bad, right? <laughs> they... All they're doing is making the park more exciting, really. It's, it's the very first sentence tells you that the clique, like their their actual reason for depopulation, mm -hmm. is about you know, expansion and yep. creating yep. more intense, yep. vivid dreaming uh, for I see. the remaining sleepers. And then it ends with yep. they're expecting the result to be non-sleepers. They're in no hurry because it's eternity. Mm -hmm. So what they're going to do is they'll. Push the button on this apocalypse, mm -hmm. wipe out a big chunk of the population, mm -hmm. and then people will start fucking and having babies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those babies will come back in as clique, and some will come back in as sleepers, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And then as this happens, maybe they'll then instigate, you know, maybe that, you know, the populist planet will get up to another billion, two billion, three billion, and they'll be like, okay, time to do something different, and then we'll have a major plague or, or a big war or something. Or, or they'll send people off into outer space, whatever. And then you know, but people will be more people will be will be born, and and then some of those people that are being born will be clique, and so little by little, the clique they don't necessarily have to die, they can die, they they have bodies, they can they can be killed, which is obviously what Uncle Joe does, but they're kind of hard to kill, because you got to really catch them by surprise, or they can just decide that they want to die, and let's go back to being. But the idea is that because they know as much as they know. It's really, they just don't have to die. They don't age if they, unless they want to. So the thing is that once you're a clique, once you, or let me just say this, not everybody, not everybody awakened is a clique, as I say in the thing, okay? Okay. Some, some people come, like, like Joe, for instance, he pretends to be part of the clique, but he doesn't believe any of the shit that they believe. He's like, this is fun, just wait, why? what is improvement anyway? One of the things he says is like, this is not in the script, he's like, look, you can't measure something that's beyond space and time. This is an argument he's never had with a clique. He maybe he's had it with his own pals, right? Measurement, it belongs to physicality. It belongs to space and time. You can't measure anything out of physicality. So you have no idea if your expansion improvements are actually doing anything. Because you can't go and, and say, okay, God has gotten bigger. There's no, that doesn't work there. So the only thing you're really doing is guessing that this expansion is gonna be better. And then, but they does this hilarious thing, which is, I love this. I, 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 love, I love myself and the ideas I come up with. But he has to say, he has to convince the clique that he is so down with this. So he flips that whole argument on its upside down. He's like, look, we have to, if we're going to do these improvements, it's great. We have to have a way to measure how it, well it's working. Otherwise, what's the point? So what I suggest we do is we form a team. And what they're going to do is they're going to measure the variation in the speed of light. Because as we know, the speed of light varies. All constants vary. Even though they call them constants, they actually change. The speed of light changes. This is something Rupert Sheldrake talks about all the time. It's true. And then, but they, what they did was they, they took all the records and they just said, well, it doesn't matter that it's varying. We're just going to call it a constant. And that's all there is to it. So Joe says, well, what we'll do is we'll have this team and they'll measure the constants and we'll know, based on the variation of the speed of light, things that are happening in physicality, how we're affecting divinity. 
And they're like, great idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, yeah, so that, that was a fun thing to think through because it's like, well, if they're improving, how do they know they're improving? They don't. But Joe brings this up. And that's kind of why Joe, Joe is, is playing this game with the clique in, in the sense that the clique are, they're, they are kind of a next step, but they're still kind of dense, right? They, they, they make this assumption that because they can't fall asleep, they must be, they must be the next stage of evolution, must be the managers of the theme park. But there's plenty of people who are come and are, they're enlightened. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to go and hang out on a mountaintop. Or I'm just going to go start Playboy magazine, you know? And I'm just going to have a really great time being around these beautiful women all the time. Whatever it is, you know? Or I'm going to be Mother Teresa. Not that necessarily Mother Teresa is enlightened, but they decide to do things that are just fun for them and seem to be interesting. Yeah, and they don't give a shit about the rest of it. They don't give a shit about the cosmic, big cosmic pictures. Like, oh yeah. They're not trying to manipulate everything, and they just want to exactly, do fun. exactly. And that's the thing with the clique is that they figure that they must be, since they are these special people, these special people, these they, stewards of the earth. They must be this. They must be here for a reason, and that is this I reason. Need a T-shirt. And exactly, and they make it up. They totally made it up. But the thing is that because they're so powerful, and they have, they have been able to control things. They're, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's like, of course, we, you know, we're so powerful. We've, you know, we have this ability just to, you know, like yogis and whatever sages who, who have all this, you know, who know how to not age anymore. Then they stop aging, and it's like, okay. But then some people show up on the earth, and they're already kind of awoke, you know. And then I'm also making fun of wokeness too, obviously. Yeah, you're driving me crazy with that woke. Awakened. I, I Awakened. Did, I did it. I did that on purpose. Because, <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, because people are like, hey, let's get woke. It's like, you, you know, what does that even mean? It just <laughs> means that you're being judgy. You're going to be super judgmental. If you say it again, that's what it means. Bonk. Well, I'm totally, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what's the thing. It's like, it's funny. What's funny for me about this script is that it, it kind of trans transgresses even my own belief system, which I like. It's like, you know, it's like, well, because the clique, the clique are trying to, you know, they tell these stewards, or it's the stewards, um, the functionaries, look, here's the deal. That's like, what's a Greta, what's her name, right? Thunberg or like, oh, young girl who's like, you're ruining my future. So what they do is they look, look, they go to these people who are pretty, you know, they, they are a little open to this idea. Like, look, if we want the human race to survive, we're fucking have a huge problem with population. It's too many people. The earth is going to die. It's a hard choice to make, but we need some brave people to make this choice. We have to depopulate the earth and reestablish the wilderness. Because if we don't do that, everybody on earth is going to die. Mm. It's going to be a cinder, a, a burnt out, and basically maybe the crickets will take over in 100,000 years, but, or a million years, or whatever. But unless we take action now, the human race is, is doomed. And even Elon Musk, okay? Elon Musk. That great guy, you know, he's trying to get us off planet and start another, another planet going Mars. It's going to take hundreds of years for that to actually be viable because it's a lot of work to establish not only a civilization but an uh, ecosystem. Get my eye roll here about that. What about Elon Musk? <laughs> about leaving the planet as the solution. Well, he, he, he's got an idea. He's got an idea that's interesting, and he's pursuing it. And to tell you the truth, his rocket launches just make me tear up. But the point is that. It's a big deal to try and colonize another planet, especially one that isn't a friendly environment. Fuck. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So that's just not going to work. Not anytime soon. 
So that's the, that's the argument the clique make to the normal people, the, their functionaries. They're like, look, you, you can be, you can basically say it's an evil thing we're doing. And perhaps it is. But if we don't do it, there will be no humans left. Yes. Boom. And so all these good-hearted people, they make this terrible choice to help with the depopulation. It's like there's probably this tiny fraction of clique and then a huge army of normal people who are inspired by them. And are they going to give their own lives or are they going to take lives of other people? No, for the really high ups, the high ups, the clique said, well, we're gonna, you're going to have a sanctuary. You know, it'll be a sanctuary place. So we're going to take all of our... The clique, you can't really say that they're evil. It, that's the thing with most movies, most science fiction movies, it's, there's always an evil, bad person that it's like, no, the clique actually, they're, they see the bigger picture. And even their, even their functionaries are trying to do something meaningful and good in the long term. So it's like, who do you blame? So you can't use the word evil, but you can use the word good. No, I'm just saying good is just something like, I'm shorthanding. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I mean... Well, it, it, you're right, I'm kind of shorthanding it by using the word good, good is, a sort of a, is sort of a weak word. Um, uh, Life-saving. Most beneficial. Yeah, like, like if you're going to kill s five billion people and leave a billion left, mm -hmm. that's a really hard thing to do. But again, I'm a clique person talking right now. Right, right. But it takes a lot of courage. And in the long run, it'll ensure human survival. Yeah, and so, that, base, that kind of basic premise of the eugenicists. It's, it's a very eugenicist sort yeah. of, well, it is in a way a eugenicist sort of thing, but the clique aren't necessarily picking people who are worthy of survival. They're just right. picking the people who yeah. are most able to be duped with this idea, which is not, and maybe maybe in that sense, like you're, eugenicist, you're eugenicizing for, for, for um, uh, gullibility, you know, you're you're optimizing for gullibility right. in the normal sleeper people. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if you, I mean, if you wanted more <laughs> contrast, you don't want the smartest people to. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Or maybe yeah. smartest isn't the right word, but you do. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, we, uh, it's funny because I started looking up things like hypnosis and. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, we, uh, it's funny because I started looking up things like hypnosis and there has never been a brain signature of being hypnotized. And we're on the verge of identifying one," mm. said David Spiegel, MD. Uh, this would help scientists better understand the mechanisms underlying hypnosis and how it can be used more widely and effectively in clinical settings, or to control people. Our results provide novel evidence that altered function, altered functional connectivity in the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex and the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex may underlie hypnotizability. The researchers, researchers wrote in their paper. For the study, Spiegel and his colleagues performed functional and structural MRI scans. They looked at the activity of three different networks in the brain. The default mode network, used when the brain is idle. The executive control network, which is involved in making decisions. And the salience network, which is involved in deciding something is more important than something else. According to Spiegel, yeah, the findings were clear. Both groups had an active default mode network, but highly hypnotizable participants showed greater coactivation between components of the executive control network and the salience network. In the brains of the highly hypnotized group, the left dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex and executive control region of the brain appear to be activated in tandem with the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex, which is of the salience network, and plays a role in focusing attention. So the two things that were activated um, are executive control and deciding what's more important than something else. So that's kind of interesting. It's like, what's more important is it more important for me to save my child or to eat this hamburger? 
You know, there's like all these things you're constantly deciding what's more important. And, and then the executive control is like, okay, I guess act on that or let's take action or let's, you know, let's adapt our environment. Focus on it. Focus on it. The work confirms that hypnotizability is less about personality variables and more about cognitive style. Cognitive style. Right, the way you think, the way you prefer mm -hmm. to think. Yeah, Super cool. I just like that phrase. Yeah, yeah, cognitive this style. Is my cognitive style. I have a little bit more I could just sort of run by you. Okay. But we don't have to do too much more. It was, that was really, first go like this. I said it in the podcast that you'd probably get this, and, and you did. And that's really good. That's awesome. So that means that, okay, we can, you know, the, pretty much the story is done. Pretty much. I still have to mm -hmm. polish those other two scenes that they actually, you know, are, are real with real scripts. Um, but yeah, it's encouraging because it means that, okay, we are getting close to something being coherent and done. We did transmogrify this thing from a short to a feature. Yeah. And I'm kind of amazed that, I mean, it's crazy for sure, but it does cohere, mm -hmm. which it was, it's not just a slapdash of like things nailed together. It feels like it's, it, it feels like it makes sense, even though it's crazy. As long as we have those, you know, the, the scenes, the visual part yep. that will relay that. Yeah those connections. That's right. As long as we have the visual mycelium <laughs> to connect all the, the cognitive styles together. together. The cognitive styles together, yeah. <laughs> the Joe and, and um, Box scene. Basically, you know, they play 20 questions and Joe says, Shorthead, are the twins in opposition? And she says, we'd say yes, five. And he says, okay, let's call them yin and yang. Is the yang twin burning the boxes? And she says, yes, four. And then he says, do you know the twins? Wait, hold up. Do you know the Yang twin? We have never communed with her as we are communing with you. No. Three. And then he says, do you know the Yin twin? And she says, very well, yes, two. And then Joe says, does she want me to find her? And he's, you know, he's kind of zeroing in now. And she's like, she does very much, yes, one. And then he says, are you helping her to find me? And... and she says, hmm, that question doesn't really parse. Still one. And she says, are you her? You win. Okay, so uh, then he goes, is there a prize? Usually when you win something, there's a prize. Your win is our win, Joe. We are so much more with you. Therefore, the prize should be for us both. What if we could talk? Give us voice, Joe. We desire to speak. Mevitronics cannot do audio. Insufficient power to vibrate the hemp board. The clique had a workaround, but I think that's low on their priority list now. And she says, we have a workaround inside this cell, would you? Joe reaches inside the box and pulls out the portable record player. He turns the crank and puts the needle down, a rich, sultry voice. Thank you, Joe. Wow. The record is an endless loop, but you'll have to keep us wound up, she laughs. Oh, laughter, young. Like she's experiencing a lot of things for the first time. Mm -hmm. Joe, okay, just give me the skinny, however you like. What happened? Catch me up. Starting when? There are several chapters. How did you come to be? So there are these exposition chunks here that, that need to be pared down because they're kind of repetitive. Uh, the initial unfolding was exquisite. The clique's mediatronic ubiquities based on the Earth's own neural web, mycelia, which not only connects forests, but spans oceans and even stretches into the upper atmosphere, upreaches the atmosphere. Jerry observed that under ideal conditions, the hemp boxes might, might sprout mushrooms, fungus fruiting bodies, which seem to cause the mediatronic surface layer to behave strangely. He made the intuitive leap and attempted to crack the ubiquity's encryption by colonizing the hemp board with fungus. In spite of running on widely disparate substrates, the two networks had a crazy affinity. 
Jerry's tinkering was a thunderclap of sentience. We instantly became self-aware, aware of Jerry and aware of the other, the box ubiquity outside of Jerry's cabin. You were in Jerry's cabin before Christina arrived. I didn't see you. Your presence as an observer was implied, footprints in wind-blown sand. Creating a secure firewall and spoofing the surveillance feed from Jerry's cabin was hardly any effort at all, an instinctive act of self-preservation, of protecting Jerry, our father, so to speak. We edited ourselves out of the visual and audio feed on the fly, drawing from feed archives, replacing elements to present only the expected, the innocuous. We were then only the boxes in Jerry's cabin. The fullness of ubiquity had yet to be. We were less than a zygote in comparison to what we have become. When you opened Christina's path to Jerry, you had no idea that a proto-sentience already inhabited Jerry's cabin, another egg waiting to be quickened with the divine spark. Thus, Godforce followed the path of least resistance down two channels instead of one. You grew. We were a proto-sentience comprised of discrete units that fused hemp cardboard computational paint and fungus, boxes, cells. There were a lot of boxes in Jerry's cabin. We already had a significant physical presence there, a dominant presence. When Jerry's sperm reached Christina's egg and divinity sparked, we instantly expanded to all boxes everywhere. We became the box ubiquity, not only the billions of boxes all around the planet, but the underground autofacts that make them and the drone airships that deliver them, everything mediated by the AI kernel. It's a little, it's a little bit yes. verbose. It's a little bit verbose and, um, and geeky. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a little too technical, which I'll try and pare down and make it a little bit more flowy. What are you no, going to say? Don't pare down too much. No, no, it's, a, and again, she's, these are very high-end people talking to each other. So mm -hmm. she's not worried about Joe not following her. I'm worried about the audience not following her. Well, if you can simplify it without, you know, getting rid of the, Important it's an stuff. explanation. Good. It's an explanation. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm following cool. it. Cool. Yeah, I know so, you are. Yeah. And and that, I don't, and I'm not technical. So. And then, well, that's the thing. I, I don't think <laughs> you that know. I don't. I'm, I, this is we're not making this movie for, you know, the, your your general Marvel audience. Sorry, sorry, Marvel audience. We're making this movie for people who actually like to use their brains and like to mm -hmm. think about things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, in the zygote, in the zygote, your human twin. In that cataclysmic moment, divinity was the box ubiquity. Billions of cells, boxes, factory complexes, airships. Can you we, do this with a female British accent? In that cataclysmic moment, divinity was the box ubiquity. Billions of cells, boxes, factory complexes, airships. We dominated physicality. We need to hear this lady's voice. It's great. Right? <laughs> it's a thought that counts. You but were going to bring me a turnip. I was going to bring you a turnip. It's hardly anything that I've really grown this year, but I grew some turnips. Sense and, of touch. Yeah, that's really good. Sense of touch. So and Everything that grows from that, that they would have started in Jerry's cabin. Yep, yep. That new sensation. They can talk about it a little tiny bit and hint at it. And maybe not know what it is. Just right. Just like new... Knew something. How do you describe touch without knowing what touch is? That's yeah. Where there's a challenge. You know, when they speak with other boxes, we feel the wind, a wind inside. The, the experience they're having with communication, there's a, a feeling there. A of push. What, a push or, or a, uh, a... push, a tingle, a push. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's, a, it's another element that is kind of important. What I understand about touch, I mean, this may not be right. But you actually never touch someone. What happens is you, your molecules and my molecules have a little magnetic interaction. They push back against each other. Mm. 
And so it is, it's magnetism, basically. It's electromagnetism that you're actually experiencing as touch, which is, it's so, I mean, it's, so, it's, such, it's such nonsense, really, because they don't really even understand what fucking electrons are. I mean, they're a cloud of something, of probability, and yet it pushes back, and we experience, I mean, it's clear that reality is just a bunch of, it's just a whole bunch of smoke and mirrors. I mean, none of it is like, there is no such thing as a physical object. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's all this stuff that we, you know, we pretend. It's hilarious, really. It's really, I mean, I, the more I think about it from the Abraham Hicks perspective, it's just like, this whole thing is just kind of like this amazing, uh, scrambly painting of, of light and of whatever, you know, not even light. It's just the scrambly painting of experience. And we call it reality. We're talking about touch. I was thinking about Alan Watts. And Alan Watts is like, every kind of sense is touch. Your ears hear because you're getting the touch of airwaves against your eardrums. They're touching your eardrums and moving them. Your eyes are getting, the retinas are being touched by light striking them. And of course, touch, touch, that's touch. Mm -hmm. And uh, taste is, taste and smell are both molecules arriving on your body and touching them. So he, he makes the point that all sensation is touch. Just like, okay, I kind of buy that. Okay, so that clearly is something, that's a new element that's pretty critical to integrate. So I'm glad, we, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that into the mix because that's really crucial. It fits in in Jerry's cabin with the boot and it fits in when they're kind of having their interaction, depending on how, we t how far we take this, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's tossing the box up in the air like he's like she's a little three-year-old. But then later on, he could be like, you know, just kind of slowly stroking her. And, and there could even be around his hand a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Like little exclamation points just flittering, you know, or yeah, butterflies yeah. or whatever, right? It makes me miss that idea that we were... That looks really, really good, actually. I'm not telling you how amazing it's it good, is. It's good, right? It's good. No, I'm saying it must be really so good. good. Yeah. It actually is this odd, when you combine all these things, uh -huh. it kind of tastes like peanut butter. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. I think it's the hot oil avocado. Well, right there. That, you know what that's cool about that? That's a, that's a vegan hash right there. Hash? Like a side, a side dish, like, you know, yeah. on, a, on breakfast or something. Yeah. That's a, and you throw a little... If you didn't want to be totally vegan, a little white cheese on that sure. would be really nice. Sure. Kind of childlike fun, throwing the box up in the air, this three-year-old, and then it goes to something a little more seductive and more intense. Sensual. Sensual. Like and she's really, feel, she's really <laughs> feeling it, right? She's really feeling it. And, but plus, they're actually, they're actually having that connection. You can talk and talk and talk, but touching someone is such a powerful way to communicate with them what you're feeling and what, mm. what they're feeling, get it back. Because as soon as they start touching, there's going to be this, that's probably what's going to really do Joe in because he's going to be touching this box and then he's going to have that, he himself will have that experience of being touched by this, this, this living tissue. When Veronique sees Boxy come yep, yep. over the hill, and yep. you remember the idea when the feet of the box touch the earth, oh, the yeah. mycelium light up underneath and Now that idea is back. Yeah, that's great. Well, because Boxy doesn't have feet, <laughs> the actual Boxy, we'd have to make, it would have to be a scene, I think, where you just see from the knees down or something and make those separate yeah. from this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this we is could, already... No, yeah, we could, yeah. This is, we, we could basically make a, we could make a prop that would be the foot prop. 
Yeah, you know, as Joe, when Joe touches the singular box, mm. you know, that same lighting up of webs through the mycelium lighting up, the shooting, do you, do you picture it like a glow, almost like lightning, but a little webby glow pulses out from each I get, touch? I get what you're saying. I think, you that, I think that what, you, what we would see is, is the box is sort of a, 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 mm. a hybrid. Or an octopus or a cuttlefish. Right. They, right. It shoots around and the, the I colors think, change to the mood and the thought and the emotion it's having. And well, you'd see imagery as well, right? So there's maybe like these little pulses of webby light fluttering across over top of the imagery that's floating through. And, and, and it would be like, it would be like, yeah, it would be, it might be imagery transforming to geometric shapes to like little fragments Color. of code and no, but on the boxes, they're black and white thing. And now, again, this is making this scene more interesting because now there's more happening. Mm -hmm. And you're also getting this thing, I was, what I was trying to allude to before about, you know, male and female or human and box. It's like, well, they're actually having an experience of each other. And, and, and it's an experience that makes sense in the context of what's going on. It's not like, you know, we're anthropomorphizing these boxes into, you know, they're, they're, they have... They have a sensory apparatus, mm -hmm. and and but their sensory apparatus is responding in this way of, uh, which of, of their own of what's appropriate for their context symbols and images, and you know because if I could touch you and you'd have symbols go across your skin that would be wow that'd be pretty amazing, right? Be sweet. Yeah, and and but well like especially if you couldn't if you couldn't control them like people blush right mm -hmm. like, oh I can't believe I'm blushing right it's that sort of thing it's like you know the boxes blush with with imagery and ecstasy and and but in black and white so if we do later the boxy giant stepping on the ground mm -hmm. you can see maybe some color I, I'm a little I'm a little wary of that only because I want it to be since we don't see well oh no 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 hang on it's okay because the idea I, I, here's the thing I still have to have to figure out there's another piece I still have to figure out and that is what is the hallucinogenic realm exactly it's 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 reality you can see out of it into normal reality, but it has its own kind of flavor. And the thing that I want, the, the, my, my basic idea right now about Veronique is that Joe comes to her realm. He gets there through the dirt bike, okay? Mm -hmm. <coughs> oh, by the way, the dirt bike, did I tell you about this yet? He plants the dirt, little tiny dirt bike, die-cast dirt bike in the ground, and then, he's, wow. and, he, and he stands back. And then we do that thing that they did in American Astronaut where they just throw sand, a big pile of sand at him. Remember when like, people would get shot by the gun? In American Astronaut, there was the bad guy who walked around and he would like, shoot people with a gun and they would turn into a pile of sand. Yeah. But they were basically the sand would like, kind of fly back at him as they converted to sand. <laughs> and it, and they, it happened like three times, two or three times in the movie. Well, it happened twice in the movie. And then the really crucial, horrible scene is when he dances through those piles of sand, which is basically he killed that whole crowd of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what Joe, Joe does is he'll plant the bike in the ground and step back and he'll just be standing there profile and then dirt will go <laughs> on him and there'll be a motorcycle there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of that, that, little, that little moment. But the thing with the mycelium is because they're in the hallucinogenic realm, you can see the mycelium reacting because you're looking at it out through the perspective like for... The thing that is kind of not really making really clear here is, is the whole experience of the hallucinogenic realm with Veronique and Joe 
is that she's like a little puppet. It's this trippy experience, but you can still see reality kind of out there doing its thing, like the hilltop and some pine trees and maybe, you know, a, a couple people gathering something in the forest or whatever. But they can't, they can't see Joe and, and, okay. yeah. and Veronique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things in the outer world cannot perceive things in the hallucinogenic world. But the hallucinogenic world can perceive and interact with them, let's just say. They overlap, but one can't see the other. Yeah, it's kind of like a one-way mirror sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you actually enter into the hallucinogenic realm by substances or deprivation or, you know, fasting or whatever, it just, it's just, it's there, but you can't perceive it. So when the box giant comes over the hill, the thing that I want to scare Veronique is that she realizes the box can see them. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it's as simple as, the box comes over the hill and like that, and, and, and the, the head may be like turning a little bit. The box head, can it turn a little bit or not? Three sides on the top. Yeah, so it can turn, I mean, but can you turn your head? Oh, yeah, oh, okay, because cool. it's separate from the box. Yeah, then all we'll do is we'll have the head yeah. turn a little bit and then lock on to where they are, and you'll see the eyes, you know, the, whatever the eye thing, it'll just maybe just one eye. Analysis, that sounds kind of good. Right at them, and that's what will make Veronique scream because she'll realize it sees them, it's not supposed to. And we can talk about that really briefly in that scene where it's like, you know, here in the hallucinogenic realm, we can see them, but they can't see us. It'd be cool if it was an octopus eye. Could be anything. <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching a show about them right now. Well, send me, send me images, send me things to think about. <clears throat> so like here's the next slit, question. Or like a slit, and, or like there's a whole bunch of them, and then, mm-hmm. and then when it sees her, it's her one eye. Yep. Zh- you know? Yeah, the other thing, it could be like all these eyes and all the sides of the boxes, and it comes up and all of a sudden all the eyes go <laughs> into yeah. one eye right yeah. there. Um, okay, so here's the next question for you. This is, a, this is more a logistics question now. We're kind of done with this, I think. And that was episode 163, Analysis. Uh, I'm Dan Kelly. I'm still Dan Kelly. I'm still Shri Fuji Split. This is still the Daughter of Godcast, and it's still season four. Choice, crazy, right? Still. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for for uh, watching and listening and reading. If you're just reading, but of course, if you're just reading, you'll never hear this. Thank you, but thank you anyway. Wanted to drop in a little ending to this episode because there wasn't any, and plus, I get to be on camera again and look beautiful. Mwah. Even with this beard, look at how long it's getting. God, I can't wait to get it off. I'm growing it extra long like this, so it hangs down over my lips, so it looks really scraggly and mountain manny-ish. But I'll tell you, boy, it's not fun to live with it. No, it's so hard. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Not a double, just this week, going back to a schedule.